being the executor, just how challenging is it? And how do you carry out your loved one's wishes while you're grieving them? Let's learn about that journey from someone who's been going through it. Moving your mom or your dad or yourself isn't just about moving things from one place to another. It is much more complicated than that, as are so many things having to do with later life. How to Move Your Mom and Still Be on Speaking Terms Afterward provides in-depth conversations with professionals, older adults, and their family members who share their stories with warmth, understanding, and humor. I'm your host, Marty Stevens-Hebner, and here you'll find answers to many of your questions, as well as different perspectives that I hope will inform and inspire you. Welcome back, and I'm with Nancy Nofer again, and we're going to talk about a whole different topic before she spoke about what it was like as her mother was dying and the decision to let her go according to her wishes, meaning her mother's wishes. Now we're going to talk about the whole journey of being the executor mm-hmm. of her mother's estate because it's a whole different ball game, for lack of a better term. Nancy, thank you again so much for being here. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm glad. I hope that uh, some of this will help some other people. It. Uh, I know you've been a great support system for me, and to be able to answer questions as I was going through this. Yeah, you know, I'm so glad you said that and you put it so eloquently because people people bestow the role of executor because, yes, it's an honor. But the thing to remember for people is that once you become an executor after someone has passed, you become the CEO of the estate. Mm. Frequently, for a lot of families, that means you have a big human resources problem, big HR problem. <laughs> You know, because suddenly you're in touch with, you have to deal with all that. And there are so many questions, and we're going to be talking about what you learn through this process. It's been a year and a half. People think they can get it done so swiftly, and it takes time, and you have to be patient. Before we get into all that, I want to formally introduce Nancy and tell you what she does and all about her. Um, Until recently, Nancy was a Los Angeles-based production manager and line producer in the entertainment industry. She'd been doing that for 25 years. Uh, But more importantly, her mother's death, the pandemic, and her desire for a career change all converged in February and March of 2020 to set her on a completely new and unfamiliar path in a new city, Huntsville, Alabama, on the other side of the country. All right, so Nancy, let's go back to March, 2020. Your mother has passed. I left my place in Los Angeles. I left on March 12th and Mm -hmm. I put everything in storage. So I had packed up one life, my own. And uh, then I was going to come out to to Huntsville and pack up my mom's house and get the house ready to go on the market. I just want to acknowledge the fact that when you left LA, you would put everything in a storage unit. Every, your whole life. And how big was that storage unit? It was a 10 by 15. <laughs> you had to do a lot of downsizing. I did. And I also, I, my, I was, I have a Prius. And so I had packed that to the gills. And, and you went cross country that way as COVID struck the entire world. 
And I remember you telling me that it was uh, that experience of going cross country as everything was starting to shut down. As I'm leaving Los Angeles on the 10, going literally three miles an hour, my phone starts ringing and all the work that I was supposed to do for the next two months, it gets postponed. And I'm listening to NPR as I'm crossing uh, state borders. And about halfway through that, I was talking with one of my friends and they're like, you know, you should just go ahead and see America because there's nothing going on. And then once I hit Huntsville, then the probate courts had closed. So I didn't have the papers to be able to get access to my mom's accounts. Oh, and my. luckily, the, uh, a very nice woman who was very, very helpful at the credit union where my mom had her accounts had a backdoor into the probate people to actually get me copies of the, of the documents that the, even my attorneys couldn't get. So, um, so I was very grateful. That's when a small town works for you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, that's so true. That is yeah. so true. One of the things that is vital is that you have to get your hands on is the death certificate and multiple copies. Uh, you need it for every time you have credit card accounts, anything that's dealing with money, then you're going to need to have a death certificate for that organization. Because again, when you become the executor, it's brand new to you. And you have this whole big learning curve all the while that you're grieving. So it's so yeah. difficult. So you get to Huntsville. What are your first thoughts? What do you get to work on? Uh, the first one was to be able to get access to the financial accounts. My mom had a house and uh, a bunch of other things, so, or a car, and then some uh, account, you know, financial accounts, some 401k and a, uh, death benefits and Social Security and things. Let me ask you, did uh, you... Your mother was amazing because she had everything set out. She had a plan and it, that was, had to be so helpful. And even that she had, t didn't she tell you that she wanted to be cremated? So you knew that ahead of time. She showed me where everything was and she, she was a, a product of her parents in the depression so that there was money hidden around the house. And she told me where most of that was. My mom was also very paper oriented. So the bills were all, you know, paper tangible. I didn't have to crack any, any kind of code on her, uh, on her laptop. I didn't have to go into any accounts. I had those passwords too. You've got to have, keep track of those passwords and have them available. They have to be written down or printed out somewhere, <laughs> you know, so that people can get access. If you have a safe, the combination, if it's a combination safe. I remember years ago, my father showed me where everything was. He said, come on over here for a second. He, he was at his desk. He pulled open the file drawer. He said, there's the will. There's the trust. There are the bank accounts. Open another drawer. There's the safe deposit key at the bank. Um, and it was so helpful to know where to go. And I was also honored that he trusted me so much. And I'm sure you felt that way too with your mom. In addition to the estate plan, the second biggest gift you can give those you love after you've passed is that you have gone through everything in the house. Because my dad did that and there was still yeah. so much to do. You're about a year and a half out now from your mother's passing. And you're still dealing with a few more things. Well, there are three things that really were characteristic of my mom. She was a quilter. She collected uh, dolls and because she fashioned dolls that she would make clothes for and that were historically accurate. 
the first thing that was most important was getting the quilting. Uh, that's, she was a fabric artist. We were also in the middle of the pandemic and they needed fabric to be able to make masks. It was beautiful fabric. It was high quality fabric, which made high quality masks. In the end, to various sources, I gave about 250 bankers boxes full of fabric to either ma mask makers or uh, the Huntsville Foundation, which made it back to the mask makers. And approximately 25,000 masks were made that were distributed statewide and regionally. And a couple of them even made them into some foreign countries through various people. My mom was doing a NICU quilt, baby quilts. Can you say what NICU stands for? A neonatal intensive care unit. So for the small babies. Mm -hmm. Then uh, my mom was doing a, a, a service project and she had approximately 54 quilt tops that were done, but it still needed to be quilted in order for it to be something to give to somebody. And her quilting friends, uh, a really wonderful woman, and her friends, uh, Barbara Black and the so-and-sos here in Huntsville, there are like 12 of them, I believe, and they were just amazing. They finished the quilts for my mom, and we were able to donate them to the local hospital here, um, to the NICU. 54 baby quilts that were, were donated. And it's really interesting because you had told me that one of the reasons your mother had didn't really want a memorial service is because you thought she was afraid no one would come. And yet you had this huge support system. I did. And I think my mother would be astounded at the impact that she had on this group of people and how uh, much she had touched their lives and how much they respected her quilting skills as well. So between, I think we often don't value ourselves in the way that others do, but between uh, that and the students that my mother taught as a history professor, I mean, there, she touched a lot of lives over her lifetime. And what's been important to me is to uh, extend that legacy so that her quilting continue to live on. People pass, and I think in our society, we think that's the end. And look at how much your mother did even after she, after she passed, how she was able to touch even afterward yeah. so many people. It's remarkable. Yeah. And I met some, it, it also gave me a connection into some people here in Huntsville that were able to help me grieve and be a support system locally. Um, and then we had an estate sale that was just of quilting um, supplies. And it was a two-day sale, and it was lots of people. But I know that the quilting materials went to people who value them and can use them. So they're in someone's home. My mom had a saying that if you are um, uh, covered in a quilt, then you're wrapped in love. Your mother was such an extraordinary artist. And just how precise you have to be in quilting, the little corners that have to be sewn precisely. My mom was very skilled in all of that. It was an immense amount of fabric because she loved fabric. And so she would put them in clear containers and they would be um, stacked up. But she could see her fabric every day and she knew what was what and she could tell you a story about it. Clearly, you did such a wonderful job preserving and respecting your mother's legacy. Why was that so important to you? Um, that's an easy answer in some ways because it was a way to honor her and it was a way that I could still connect to her.
And it was a way to say thank you for what she had done for me. And she may not know that, but I know that. And to me, it's a way to honor her. That's beautiful. With who we are and our various emotional, personal, and professional skill sets, which ones did you really have to draw on and which, which really served you well? I have been a production manager and a producer. And the, the industry, the whole idea is to keep the camera rolling. And so you learn how to do, how to survive in a very dynamic situation, which you have to learn a lot of things sometimes on the fly. Mm-hmm. So those skills were very helpful to me in combating or combating is the wrong word, uh, in just uh, completing the tasks that were ahead. And I had a notebook that I wrote down every day what I was doing and all the numbers that were important. It's just the tenacity that you need to have, the being able to have in some ways uh, to compartmentalize and have tunnel vision on the tasks ahead. Those are all things, the ability to be calm under very uh, dynamic situations. Those are all good skills to have. Uh, The people skills are also very good too. You're dealing, in my case, it wasn't my family, but I was dealing with people who were stressed out because of COVID. To go back to the first few months after COVID and we're all desperately trying to figure things out. And then in your case, that was compounded by having to do all the tasks that an executor has to do, including arranging the burial and all of that. Uh, And all the while, too, you know, there's COVID, there's being the executor, and you're grieving. Yes. And I'm grieving alone uh, because I'm in a house by myself. And again, we were all under lockdown, and there were things that needed to get done, and there were things that needed to get done for the house to be able to put it up on, uh, on the market. But every time you brought somebody into your house, at that time, we didn't have the vaccines and we didn't know what we were doing. So there was a risk involved in that. And yeah. then, and then you know, I have a brother, but it was also a risk to his family. And so I ended up doing a lot of it by myself. COVID is a unique time in history, but it also, a lot of the stuff that you have to deal with uh, in terms of family, in terms of your own grief, in terms of tasks, in terms of finding things out about your loved one that you weren't necessarily sh- didn't know when they were alive. Yeah. Um, some of that can be good. Some of that can be bad. And I think those are things that it, COVID just added another layer of it to it. But it also gave me some time. Everything The world stopped. So it gave me some time to recover and to be able to be in my you know, sucking my thumb and and holding my pillow. (laughs) (laughs) And I know there were times when you felt like you weren't making progress, but you were, and it just takes time, even in the best of situations without COVID. Just in general, when you're being an executor, you do a lot of waiting. Yeah. And I'm at the point now where I'm waiting. My mom's uh, final tax return is done. The major assets of the estate have been sold. Now I'm waiting on the 2021 tax forms to be printed, which won't happen until January of 2022 to be able to close out the estate. And you're already a year and a half into being the executor. So it's going to be a good two years. And then maybe you'll be able to step out of it. 
I'm so glad you and your brother managed to get along during this whole time. So you we did, doing- and that's a really important thing. I think, uh, although I did a lot of the work myself, and he's uh, there to be a sounding board, so he was also, you know, open to listening to what was going on. And I would say, "This is what I'm going to do. Are you okay with it?" And if he wasn't, then we'd have a discussion and and figure out a way to to work it out to, for both of us. What do you know now that you wish you had known when you first had to take this on? If I had known what I know now, I think I would have counseled my mom to do a couple of things like a, a payable on demand or payable upon death for a lot of her accounts, which would have made it easier to do stuff. You can establish a beneficiary that's payable upon death, which means whoever is the beneficiary needs to just show a death certificate for the individual, and then those funds go directly to you. Uh, they're not considered an inheritance because they aren't gone through probate. People don't realize when someone passes how much money you need almost immediately for the funeral, for Mm -hmm. the casket or the cremation urn, and then just finishing up their financial lives for them. Everyone's experience may be different. Alabama's laws are very different than California's laws. Oh, yeah. So you have... uh, you have to know what your local laws are. You should get a local lawyer in the vicinity in which the probate court's going to end up happening, going to occurring. It's a, a relatively simple process, and yet it's still very complicated. There's so much more involved in this than I ever would imagine. One of the things I think I'd, I, I'm glad that I did from the very beginning is to document everything. You should keep a you should keep a daily diary of who you're contacting and what their outcomes of stuff is. You should have addresses and contact numbers of who you talk to at whatever place it was and what website and email and all those kinds of things because something may come up six months uh it away from when you last did it. And again, as you've mentioned, you're in grieving and you think you're doing really, really well, but some days you're really not. <laughs> you're not, and you get exhausted. I mean, grief exhausts you, even if you're not the executor. There's going to be so many people in, that want to get involved in it. So if you have it documented and just written down someplace, then you have a, a, a way to be able to combat some of that and simplify your life and talk to the lawyer. And one of the things I started doing with the attorney is that I would give them monthly updates and I I gave it to my brother as well. And it would have, you know, this is what I took care of. This is what the bank accounts, these are the checks that were written so that there was a document that both the attorney had and, and my brother. So if there were any kind of questions about, you know, what I was doing, there was a record of it. Everybody's estate is going to be different. I'm just curious throughout all this, because you were in isolation, as were we all, because of the pandemic. Did your sense of time shift while you were going through all this? Absolutely. You, uh, and it still is to some extent. If you don't know what day it is, uh, weekends meld into weeks. One of the things that was very helpful with me taking having a daily journal is that whenever I thought, oh my gosh, I'm not moving very fast on all of this, I could go back and look and see what I had done. I could also see where I was like, okay, I'm caught up in something. What's stopping me? What have I, what task am I putting off either emotionally or physically? And then there are days, like there was one day when I was cleaning out some stuff in the kitchen and I found a tea towel that I did when I was in third grade that my mom had kept. 
Mm. And that just stopped me. <laughs> and you just need to know that there are going to be days as you're going through stuff, or there's a question that I want to ask about something. And I'm like, oh, no, I can't ask mom about that. Oh, I can't ask dad about that. And also having to deal with the pandemic um, and also with my own grief, because I moved away from a, uh, my support group and my what I'd known for 25 years in Los Angeles. You have to redefine who you are and what's safe in the view that you don't have this parent who's always been there with you. And th that assumes you had a good relationship with your parent and a bunch of stuff that way. I've talked to people who did not get along, but there's still this emptiness. Almost like a little bit of, um, I don't want to call it fear, but discomfort. So we feel multiple emotions at once because there's this weird bit of freedom that people, that I, I know I felt. It didn't compensate for all the grief I felt, but it was a surprising emotion. For those that didn't have a good relationship with their parents, you don't get a chance to reconcile that. So you can't have that moment in which they whatever judgment you felt like you had or lack of love or, you know, substance abuse issues or whatever you had with your parent, you don't have that moment to reconcile. But, you know, it also brings out family dynamics that were at play when you were kids and you now are not. And, you know, again, my, I, I'm very lucky in that I have a good family situation, but it, it, I, could, I have heard stories and I'm sure you have as well. The attorney was also very blunt with that and, and also told, like, in the very first meeting I had with her after my mom's death, then, uh, then my brother was also on the line and she was very open and said, look, she's going to be the executor and she's going to get an executor's fee. And that is not, that's legal and not part of the discussion of all of this. Most of the laws, like in, in Alabama, it's two and a half percent out and two and a half percent in. So it basically is 5% of what the estate is. As I'm going through all the boxes, I'm going, oh my God, I'm, my hourly wage is nothing. In it's a penny an hour, basically. Yeah. yeah. That's basically what it is. Yeah. And it does take up such a substantial portion of your life. And I just want to say and recommend to people that it's really important to name one person as your yes. executor and as your trustee, if you have a trust, um, your health care directive, one person. I was lucky. My father had named myself and my sister, and there are some issues there. Thankfully, we both agreed at, you know, at, towards my father's end what to do, but I was lucky. So one person needs to be the decision maker. Having a bunch of people in that decision point is difficult. As the person who's making that decision, you need to not second guess yourself with it because it'll be it could be weigh very very heavily on you in ways that are surprising later on. What plans have you made for your own departure? I have decided I want to make it as simple as possible. So um, I'm pretty clear in what I want to have done. And that's written down somewhere. It's written down. I have also expressed it to multiple friends and people who might be involved with it at the end. I've We've had, had those discussions, you and I, together. Absolutely. And um, my brother, I have had very open discussions with him about what it is. I'm not married. I don't have children. So there is a different kind of legacy I think I will leave than other people would. Mm -hmm. And I think my legacy needs to be in who I am now, mm -hmm. 
not in who I will be once I've passed. Mm-hmm. And my stuff is my stuff and it's great for me now. And then I need to have no illusions that anybody else is going to want it. <laughs> yes. And thank you for saying that. Cause that's so true. Being in the business of going through one of the things we do is we call them clear outs when someone is passed going through the different items. And so many people, especially the, the older generation now, the people in their eighties, nineties and a hundred they want to give it to their kids and their kids don't want it. They don't use China sets, you know. At this point, do you feel like a year and a half into this, do you feel like you're more towards feeling like you're going towards a new beginning or are you still having those feelings of an ending in terms of your mother's passing and things like that? I think I'm still in the middle of it. So uh, I think the big things are done. I think I've started dealing with the grief and making decisions about my own future. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think there's, so I'm hopeful in one sense and I'm sad in another, but I'm still in the middle of it. And I think I will still feel like I'm in the middle of it until the last bit of stuff is is taken care of. You've told me something really interesting is that you think people die as they have lived? Yes. What do you mean about that? Talk to me about that some. Uh, I, I think people who are, I think however you are in the world is how you go out in the world. If you're afraid of the future, then you're going to be very scared about death. And it's going to be, have a bigger prominence in your desire to stick around or to have more care. Mm-hmm. Um, my father was the eternal optimist and my father wanted to live to be a hundred. He died when he was 84 and was pretty much um, up until the moment he died, he still thought he could live to be a hundred and with health, um, health failing. And he didn't need much. And he wasn't really particularly organized. He was much mm-hmm. of a, a dreamer. My mom, on the other hand, was very practical. Mm-hmm. She had it all laid out for me. She was very clear. And I've learned much more about dolls and sewing machines and quilting <laughs> uh, fabric styles and than I ever thought I would ever want to know. <laughs> and most of it I'm going to dispose of. But it also brings me closer to my mom and at different points in time, too. You are a good daughter, Ms. Nancy, and your mother was very fortunate in that. And I know also you were so close to your mom, and that was really lovely as well. She was a good mom. Again, as much research and and preparation as you can do, it won't be enough. And and so just, and some of you are just going to have to wing. Yeah. Take a breath. Make sure you have an attorney to talk to and some friends. And go from there. And by the way, anybody who works with older adults, like your estate planning attorney, will have, if you need other resources, they usually are well tapped into the whole community of people who work with older adults. So that's really helpful. Thank you again, Nancy. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to How to Move Your Mom and still be on speaking terms afterward. Please visit howtomoveyourmom.com for more information about this episode and for additional podcast episodes featuring other extraordinary guests and conversations. Until next time, this is your very grateful host, Marty Stevens-Hebner.